Welcome to The Green Room, a joint podcast by the Spirit and JetBlue MECs. We'll use this podcast to communicate to both pilot groups, releasing them concurrently on both JetBlue and Spirit podcast feeds. Today we'll talk with Captain Chris Kenny, JetBlue MEC Chairman, Captain Ryan Muller, Spirit MEC Chairman, and the Joint Negotiating Committee, or JNC Co-Chairs, Captain Paul Slotten from Spirit and Captain Tony Young from JetBlue. And I'm your host, Spirit Captain Greg Hudson. Today we'll be discussing the backgrounds of the participants and a bit of each pilot group's negotiating history. Let's start by introducing our guests. Can each of you discuss your background and your role in this process? Sure. Thanks. Good morning. Thanks, Greg, for being the host today. Appreciate it. Uh, my name is Chris Kenny. I'm a captain at JetBlue. I was hired at JetBlue in 2005. I'm currently an LAX base captain on the 320. Uh, my wife and my kids and I live in uh, live in Wyoming. I've been doing ALPA business, various uh, committee work since ALPA has been on property with JetBlue. Um, and leading up to this is my second term as MEC chairman. Thanks, Greg. Hi, I'm Ryan Muller, Fort Lauderdale captain at Spirit. I was hired at Spirit in 2015, began volunteering for ALPA in 2016. I served in various roles, either on the scheduling committee or doing PBS work. I was also the MEC secretary treasurer during the CBA for 2018, the MEC vice chairman during COVID, and then most recently the MEC chairman for our most recent agreement. Hey, Greg, thanks for having us today. My name's Tom Young. Uh, I'm a New York captain uh, on the uh, 320. I joined JetBlue in 2011. Uh, a couple roles at ALPA was the vice chairman of the system scheduling committee. And then in 2016, joined the negotiating committee as a member, uh, working on our first uh, collective bargaining agreement. And then rejoined the committee as well for the successor agreement and the uh, current negotiating committee chair and uh, co-chairman of the uh, joint, uh, the JNC. And Greg, uh, I'm Paul Slotten, uh, Captain with Spirit in uh, Detroit. I first joined Spirit back in 1996, and I joined the negotiating committee in 2008 and was a part of bargaining for the 2010 agreement, the 2018 agreement, and our most recent uh, two-year agreement. So who are the other members of the JNC, and what are their backgrounds? So on the Spirit side, we have uh, Captain Stuart Morrison, and uh, Stuart was a, a former MEC chairman uh, for Spirit and also uh, a negotiator for the 2018 agreement. Uh, extensive ALPA experience, negotiating experience, both here at Spirit and at other carriers as well in his background. And also uh, Jesse Beach. Jesse Beach uh, uh, joined the committee uh, last year. And he came uh, from previous ALPA work as uh, chairman of the joint, uh, the JPWG, uh, the PBS committee, and uh, did a great job with that in, in uh, the bargaining for what became our, our PBS system as part of the 2018 agreement. On the JetBlue side, we have Captain Jeff Harbison. He uh, was previously the negotiating committee chairman uh, for our first uh, CBA. He also spent some time as the vice chairman on the grievance committee for JetBlue, uh, was an NC member or negotiating member over at Trans States prior to coming to JetBlue, and currently is the chairman of the Alpa National Collective Bargaining Committee. Additionally, uh, Captain Dan Gorda uh, is on our team. He uh, filled the role for many years as a chairman of the system scheduling committee and then uh, was a subject matter expert for us 
uh, for work rules and, and those type of items uh, during the first CBA bargaining. And then prior to uh, those roles, he's filled many other roles uh, at Alpa at previous carrier, uh, as well as JetBlue. So how was the JNC formed? The, uh, the JNC is set out and informed uh, by Alpa policy, which would be section 45 of the uh, administrative manual, which outlines you know, the things we need to do to set up each MEC and the joint uh, groups in terms of the, the joint negotiating committee to proceed with TPA and JCBA bargaining. Greg, to add on that real quick on what Ryan said, you know, Section 45 has several parts to it, and Part B is what outlines uh, a lot of the job description and scope of the JNC. Uh, it's a, I think it's important to remember that both sides have three members of, of the JNC, and then Ryan as uh, Ryan and myself as MEC chairman are ex-officios of the, of the JNC. Certain items in Section 45 are like it talks about the the preparation that the negotiating the JNC does to prepare uh, both sides for things like JCBA and stuff going forward. We get this question a lot from pilots at each uh, group. Why doesn't Alpa hire professional negotiators when bargaining their contracts? Sure. Uh, let me just start by saying that the the model that Alpa uses, uh, where you have you know pilot led and staff supported negotiations produce the best contracts in the world. I'll add to that, Paul. You know, instead of one single professional negotiators, right, Paul said that this is a pilot-led type of negotiation, which is true, right? Three pilots from both sides that that have uh, extensive experience, you know, in, in, in CBA bargaining. Uh, we do have what you guys, I guess you could call, you know, professional negotiators uh, on the Alpas, on the, sorry, on the JetBlue side, uh, Art Luby has been instrumental in in all of our bargaining. He's, you know, the assistant director of of representation here at Alpa, and I guess if you were to phrase a professional negotiator, he would be the closest thing you could find. Um, but additionally, you know, when you get into the individual intricacies or, or topics like economic and finance stuff, and uh, you know, benefits, we're we're surrounded by by staff at Alpa that that's their specialty, and they've. You know they've been bargaining at the table their their specialties for for decades. So instead of surrounding yourself with you know a single professional negotiator, you know everybody on the on the collective team, uh, you know from the pilots to to all the staff, uh, you know we're all basically created a larger professional negotiation team uh, instead of just using a single professional negotiator. And what's great about this, uh, you know, joint negotiation is that we're drawing on not just the staff that we've enjoyed, you know, separately, but now we're bringing in more staff uh, assets uh, to assist us in bargaining. Um, Tommy referenced Art Luby, who we we had uh, the benefit of of using in the past with uh, our 2010 and and 2018 agreements. And we've added to that team on the spirit side, Anna Lebovich, who is another assistant director of representation and has been just fantastic in assisting us with uh, our recent negotiations. And we also, you know, have been using Elizabeth Spear um, and she is ENFA. Uh, and so for all those functions in, in the most, uh, in the last couple of contracts, um, has been instrumental in, in costing various proposals. And, and that's very helpful in, in, uh, getting to a deal. She has extensive experience with all 
sorts of ALPA carriers and their negotiations. So there's just this really deep field of an experienced uh, staff team to support the pilots at the table. One thing, when you, when you think about in the context of, of doubling up, you know, the staff or, or everybody at the table, one of the, you know, key concepts too is, as Paul said, Liz has experience, you know, working with other properties. You know, she's worked with Alaska and Paul Karg, who has assisted us in the ENFA department, is, is at United. So when you look at all the key players on our side, there's also a real depth of knowledge of other contracts. You know, even when you get into, you know, the benefits piece, you know, our, our staff sits at the, you know, other tables during contract bargaining, not just, you know, not just our contract, but all the contracts in the industry. Can you guys talk a bit about the retention of merger and acquisition council? Sure. That's actually a great leading question, Greg, from the previous question. Um, you know, when Paul and Tommy were talking about what each airline can, you know, with staff and what they do to go outside to bring all these resources in as, as we move through through this process, one thing that, uh, you know, that Ryan and I and Paul and Tommy did is we were talking with other airlines that went through this process in the past, and we've, you know, trying to learn from a lot of that. And one thing that we recognized and gathered real quickly is that we felt that it was uh, there's a certain area with the merger that is uh, very complex. And there's a lot of complexities that are associated with it, and that happens to retain around a merger and acquisition council. And that's something that you know Ryan and I and, and Paul and Tommy, after interviewing a few firms, decided that that was something that we needed to have for all our 8,000 plus pilots that are involved in this. That we needed to retain counsel to make sure that we get proper legal advice as it pertains to around a merger and acquisition that we don't have currently for our pilots. Yeah, Chris, I think you really pegged that answer. You know, uh, the big thing too with the firm that we brought in was their their practice in antitrust. And, and that was something that we felt important given the challenges of this merger going forward since, you know, a lot of these type of cases had been approved by the DOJ rather quickly. And, you know, in this case, there's the, the DOJ lawsuit that's, you know, kind of affecting the timeline. I think to tie on that, when, when both MECs are working and then go, the JNC and, and the officers, as we put this thing, the puzzles start to come together with this, we can't wait for our, you know, we, we can't put our 8,000 members on hold to see what an unknown the government's going to do. We don't have any control over that. But what both sides do have control of and what we've been working very hard over the past months is is things like preparing our own internal houses and then we're, and then getting ready to bring the membership in because that's stuff that we can control. And we're not pausing. We are absolutely pressing full forward as if it's going to get approved. So who does the JNC report to and who decides on the collective bargaining goals? The JNC reports to, you know, both groups as they come together as one table. So that would, you know, be both MECs voting members. And then, you know, each segment of the JNC also reports to its own members as a whole. But the direction, you know, is given by the joint body to direct the joint negotiating committee, you know, what to do. Because, again, it's joint, so it needs to be directed by both sides. I really don't have anything to add to that, Ryan. I think you've, you did a good job answering that. The key thing to, that Ryan honed in on is that it's a JNC, which composes of six, six, but each MEC still has their own NC for their respective side that they get briefed on. But in the end, just like what Ryan said, is ultimately the governing body, which is the voting members of the MEC, is jointly is who gives the guidance and direction to the JNC as a group as a whole. And in terms of deciding on the collective negotiating goals, it's really um, 
sort of the things that pilots should be familiar with. You know, education pieces on contract items, uh, followed by survey. Uh, the JNC was going to gather all that data, make recommendations to the the joint MEC, and and uh, proceed. Uh, you know, make some recommendations around that, and then with the input of the the JMEC uh, to to go forward. I think the the only thing that that may look a little different than you know, if you've been through uh, Section Six bargaining at either your current property or at a previous property, you know, you know your contract, you know, you know the ins and outs of it, and you know your desires uh, for fixes in it, but. But the only thing that should look different or, or may feel different, we're going to try to try to educate it, you know, with this perspective as well, is that there are two current contracts and we will eventually end up putting these two contracts together. And you may have different work rules, you know, uh, in the scheduling in the world or or different benefits. And we're going to try to try to educate it so you can get a perspective of what the other properties contract look like, uh, as well as how to, uh, you know, further improve uh, you know, the path forward on that CBA. And for the pilots at the other carrier, if, I was wondering if you guys could explain a bit about each airline's CBA uh, negotiating history. Yeah, great. That'd be give everybody the full perspective, right? So we're on the same sheet. So uh, as I said earlier, you know, Alpha was brought on in 2014. And, uh, you know, the, the bargaining for our first collective bargaining agreement began in 2015. Uh, long, hard fight. Um, you know, fell in the middle of the pattern pretty much, and and were able to get an agreement uh, in 2018. Um, you know, we, and we worked off that first agreement for for four years almost. The early opener was exercised in in uh, early 2022, and we uh, had started bargaining uh, with the company our our successor agreement, and then about midsummer, late summer, once the merger was announced. Uh, we decided that we probably should change gears and and try to create a bridge agreement instead of negotiating a full CBA. Uh, we focused on you know mainly pay and trying to bridge that gap between you know that current day uh, up until a JCBA would come. Uh, we called it an extension of our agreement, so that agreement did ratify, and we're currently working under a two-year deal uh, that did improve the pay for for the JetBlue pilots. So for the uh, the spirit negotiating history, I guess we can go way back to Alpa being voted in in '96. Uh, first first contract was was ratified in '99. Uh, there was another uh, ratification of a, a deal in 2003, and then there was the the fleet transition from the DC-9s and MD-80s over to the Airbus. Uh, uh, during that time in the in the neighborhood of 0506 and so uh, with the conversion to the the ultra low cost carrier model we were negotiating our uh, what became our 2010 agreement uh, those may uh, some may be familiar we uh, we concluded that agreement after a five-day strike um, we negotiated a, a comprehensive agreement in 2018 and we're planning to do the same in the uh, when that became amendable uh, which would have been uh, actually March 1st of, of this year. So we were preparing for comprehensive negotiations, and then with the, the merger transactions announced and then finally the merger agreement with JetBlue, uh, we made the pivot to focus our negotiations to uh, primarily economic concerns as well, uh, much like you heard uh, Tommy talk about. And so we recently ratified a, a two-year deal that has uh, 
the potential for early opener 90 days uh, ahead of its expiration, uh, and then the uh, the option to immediately return to the bargaining table if uh, the merger is not uh, completed. So how often does the JNC get together, and when will the MECs meet again? We've been meeting uh, approximately every other week, sometimes a little bit more, um, and we would tend to uh, keep that up. There's an awful lot of work to do. We meet every other week, but being Paul, me and Paul are talking every other day, it feels like. you know, Like you said, there's a lot of work. There's, there's a lot of trying to, as I said, take the perspective of both pilot groups and, and you know, make this feel comfortable, like a more comfortable process that everybody's used to. So we know the JNC has been meeting for some time now. Can you guys summarize the work that's been done to date? Thanks, Greg. The one thing that Ryan and I have been always trying to do from all the way back when this merger was was announced was we really want to start building a cadence with bringing the two MECs together. Uh, to say that it is a, it, um, it is, it, it's a challenge, it's hard to say the least, bringing that large of a group together. We started out uh, long, many months ago by having a virtual call where we introduced everybody virtually, all the, all the members of the MEC. And then at the board of directors meeting in Las Vegas last year in October, um, we kind of had a little get together as well. And then in our December meeting, JEP led a December meeting, uh, regular scheduled MEC meeting in New York, in which the uh, entire Spirit MEC came there for several hours and went out to dinner and, and started doing that. The main premise with doing that all the way back is, you know, Ryan and I realize that it is going to be a challenge and a struggle to bring 8,000 plus members with us as we go forward. And we know that we are continually trying to, to work on a communication platform and trying to bridge the two groups to bring everybody along together. And this is, you know, one reason why we're starting the first of many podcasts today. Um, but building unity and and the trust amongst the two groups is something that's always been on Ryan's my mind the whole time. I think that pretty much covers what we've done in the past, and I'll turn it over to Ryan to discuss the meeting we just had and then going forward. Yeah, we, we met this week, and that was really the, the first time that you know both groups had sat at the same table to actually talk about the issues, receive presentations, and you know discuss the, the path ahead. And you know, so coming out of this meeting, we're now immediately planning the, the next meeting, as, as you can imagine, the challenges of getting two large groups together not only the voting members and officers, but all of the committees and SMEs that need to come along with it is, is quite an undertaking. So it seems as, you know, the minute we conclude one, we're going to begin planning the next one. And, you know, in terms of officer communication, you know, uh, Chris and I, and as well as our, our other officers have, uh, you know, met weekly at the very least uh, via, you know, Microsoft Teams so that we can talk about the issues and kind of continue to lay things out as, as we go. And then, you know, Chris and I, I feel like we, you know, we talk very often, probably four or five times a week or four or five times a day. Really, we began when we first met trying to get our arms around each other's CBAs. So we started going section by section uh, with, uh, you know, some detail, looking over some, you know, committee chair input that we had as well that sort of look to determine, you know, strengths and, and potential uh, areas of improvement in each of our sections uh, as we, you know, contemplate knitting these two agreements into one uh, eventually. So uh, that's an ongoing process. It's not yet complete. There's an awful lot of complexity to, you know, dig into, especially in uh, the, the bigger sections like scheduling. Um, beyond that, we've... Uh, 
we've been drafting uh, a TPA proposal uh, uh, for the transition and process agreement. That research included uh, all the such agreements uh, that have been uh, uh, in the books uh, over the last, you know, 15 years and, and uh, drawing on the strengths of each of those and, and those that would be uh, appropriate to, you know, uh, copy some of those concepts. So we've, we've been involved in that drafting as well, and that's ongoing. Um, we've been uh, working to produce a joint contract comparison guide, and uh, we hope to have that published to each pilot group in May. It'll be a single guide that uh, highlights the, the provisions of, of JetBlue and Spirit and uh, compares them to a selected peer set uh, that we're targeting for these uh, negotiations. Um, in addition to that, we've been you know, trying to get our ideas, uh, initial ideas around strategy, developing that strategy, and, and how we went about that was to analyze prior mergers in, in the industry. We've had some discussions with, with pilots uh, that were on uh, at the negotiating table for some of those uh, joint collective bargaining agreements, uh, specifically sat down with um, pilots from Delta and Northwest uh, to study uh, lessons learned from those negotiations. So that's just a bit of the, the activity to date. Yeah, I think that's, that's been one of the largest pieces is, you know, as Paul said, trying to, trying to research and study, right, and take a historical perspective in our current seats of, of what was working correctly and what did not work correctly uh, in the past mergers, right? Every merger is completely unique. There are, you know, individual circumstances and, and you know, being able to look back and, and talk to people that were involved and, and attorneys involved and, and analysts that have gone back and studied these mergers. We have our own unique merger here and, and trying to figure out what best suits us uh, to develop the best strategy uh, to get the best success for our pilots. So what are the next steps in the merger process? Well, I, I think the next steps in the in the merger process, Greg, are bringing the pilot groups together. You know, outside of the work that the Joint Negotiating Committee is going to do, unity building is, is going to be the key uh, next steps for us because, you know, at the end of the day, 8,000 pilots are, are stronger combined together and, and unified. And I think, you know, working together with, with Chris and, and our various committees across both MECs to organize events and, you know, ways to disseminate information in order to, um, you know, unify our group around a common goal and a common message is, is really the next step. I'll let Chris add some more to that. Yeah, I agree with Ryan 100% on the, with bringing 8,000 plus with any kind of a unity building event. Also, one another key aspect of the process is excluding what Tommy and Paul have already gone over, which is the, the JNC uh, part of this and what they've done with it. The, the first big hurdle I want to back up a little bit, Greg, to the previous question was that the first big hurdle that Ryan and I had to get over was having our first big joint meeting with all, all the members of the MEC. And as Ryan and I communicated last week in a joint calm about the about a little bit of details of that joint meeting, now the next step is going to be um, is having the JNC uh, go to the JetBlue management and and start working out with them a potential you know, cadence and, and a process to see what the company, uh, you know, what their appetite or what their desire might be to work with our JNC as we go forward. You know, that JNC is going to have to work with the company on 
uh, protocols for timeliness cadence, where they meet, who attends, how it's going to work, the workflow for just starting with the TPA all the way leading up through uh, JCBA. And I think that's going to be a key part. And I look forward to our GNC, you know, reaching out to our company and starting to schedule those meetings so we can start moving this thing along. I want to thank you guys, the MEC chairs, uh, Ryan and Chris, and the JNC chairs, Paul and Tommy, for your time today. I know all the pilots really appreciate everything that you've done for uh, each respective group and us collectively. I look forward to the next time we talk about the process of the merger and what the next steps are. Bye safe.